are listening to Dragon Ore, book three of the Dawning of Power trilogy, written and read by Brian Rathbone. For more information, maps, and additional downloads, visit brianrathbone.com. Thank you for listening. Chapter 6 Beneath the waves exists a bizarre world, full of life. Gorksi Varaga, Fisherman Departure from Ravenhold was bittersweet for Katrin. Despite meeting under less-than-friendly circumstances, Millie and Morif had been loyal companions, and they had saved her life more than once. Millie dabbed tears from the corners of her eyes as Katrin's party prepared to depart for Omahold. Just before Katrin mounted, Millie discreetly pressed a fat purse into her hands. It's yours, milady. May it lessen the burdens of your journey. Thank you, Millie. You're a good friend. I'll never forget you. You will come back and visit, I insist. If not for me, for your grandmother. I make no promises, but I assure you I will try, Katrin said. Lissa avoided her as best she could, but Katrin pulled her aside. I know you don't like me, but I hope you'll find it in your heart to forgive me. You're my cousin, and I don't want bad feelings between us. Even if you disagree with my actions, or I disagree with yours, we are family. You need not remind me of the blood that bonds us. I've spent my life trying to protect the people of Mundelboro and you walk in as if these lands are rightfully yours. Where were you during the droughts, or during the Jean invasion? You have no idea what our people have been through, and you have no right to take my place. Go back to your homeland, and never return, Lissa said, and she walked away. She'll come to understand over time, Jarman said, seemingly embarrassed by Lissa's behavior. Katrin's grandmother trembled as she embraced Katrin, and she whispered in her ear, I am so very proud of you. You deserve the Manxed name more than any of us, and I thank you for what you've done. Come back to us. You'll always have a home here. Thank you, Grandma. As the sun reached its zenith, Benjen mounted and called for the rest to do the same. Samda climbed awkwardly atop his mount with Chase's help, and Katrin cast one final glance at her ancestral home, not knowing if she would ever see it again. In her pocket was a rolled parchment, a writ of passage bearing her grandmother's seal impressed in wax. Within Mundelboro, at least, they would have no reason to fear the local authorities. In the lands beyond, however, the writ would be little more than a piece of parchment, a keepsake. Following a familiar trail, they rode back toward Omahold. A creeping fear gripped Katrin when the toll bridge came into view. Beyond that bridge, she no longer had the protection of her homeland. When they reached the top of the span, the toll collectors viewed them with suspicion, but one look at the writ of passage, and they were more than accommodating. The captain of the guard even offered to provide them with an escort through town. Thank you, friend, Benjen said, but that won't be necessary. It is kind of you to offer, though. 
When they passed the market, Katrin saw Yusuf hawking his livestock, and she wondered what had come of Curly. It had been necessary to sell him, but she still felt guilty. A few days later, they came to the farmstead where the Tillermans lived, and Katrin asked that they make camp on the outskirts. There's someone here I need to speak with. Are you certain that's wise? Benjen asked. Wise or not, I'm going. I'm coming with you. They rode slowly, trying not to alarm the locals. Those who saw them went indoors and closed up tight. When they reached the Tillerman farm, it was Jessup who saw them first. Grandma! Grandpa! Canergy and Elma are back! Look at Elma's clothes! And hair! And... Colette appeared at the cottage door, and she pulled Jessup inside. Rolf emerged from the barn and drew a deep breath when he saw them. I want no harm to come to my family. If you're angry, punish me. Leave them out of it. Be at ease, Rolf. I've not come for revenge. I just had to know why, Katrin said, and Rolf looked relieved but tired. His shoulders seemed to sag under an enormous weight. I am sorry. I truly didn't mean you harm. But I couldn't take Belegra's lies. I couldn't let him put other parents through what he put mother and me through. This came only days after you left, he said, handing her a wrinkled and worn piece of parchment. On it was a badly faded message. But between the lines was a newer message, a message from Rolf's son, Martik. Father and mother, Artis and I are both in good health. I'm so sorry. I tried to keep Fenny safe, but he fell ill during the long voyage to the Godfist. He died before we got here. The Herald of Istra gave us a choice between freedom and death, and we chose freedom. The Herald gave us time to get to land before she destroyed the Jean ships. She could have killed us all, but didn't. Her father has granted amnesty to all those who defected, even when his own government would not. Wendell Volker is a good and just man, and I suspect his daughter is no different. She has left the Godfist and is presumed to be traveling to the Greatland. Her name is Katrin Volker and she is a granddaughter to the Lady Mangst. Artis and I will come home to you when we can. Until then, know we are safe. Please tell Jessib I miss him, as does Uncle Artis. All my love. Martik. Two of my sons live, cause of you. I owe you a great debt. I know I've repaid that debt poorly, and I'm sorry for that. You have my gratitude. You need not thank me, Katrin said. I did what I did because it was the least horrible way I could find to save myself and my homeland. People died as a result of my actions, and that is something I will lament until the end of my days. But it is done. All I want now is for the people of the Greatland and the Godfist alike to be free and safe. Rolf looked over Katrin's shoulder and he motioned for Colette and Jessup to come outside. Everything's as it should be, he said as they approached. 
I told you twould be, Colette said with a smile. That man nearly worried himself into a sickbed. Did you really get married and fight the Jean and destroy the statue and... Jessup, hush, Colette said, but Katrin knelt down in front of the boy. I did some very scary and foolish things because I had little choice. I would much rather have spent my time on the farm. Not me. I'm going to be an adventurer when I grow up. I'm going to fight bandits and find treasure. You'll see, Jessup said, and he ran across the barnyard, fighting imaginary foes. Colette looked at Katrin with tears in her eyes. I knew I liked you as soon as we met. I knew you were a good girl. I can never thank you enough for sparing our sons and the other young men. They were only doing what they were told, and they're such good boys. You saved them, and your father's protecting them. You'll always be welcome here. Thank you, both of you. I must go now. When you get news of my deeds, always know that I'm doing the best I can. May the gods bless you, Colette called as they rode away, and Katrin actually felt safer knowing she could always go to the Tillerman farm. Wait! Elma! Wait! Jessup called as they left, and Katrin turned her mount. I made this for you, he said, breathing hard. Katrin opened the folded piece of parchment carefully, for it was worn and tattered around the edges. On it was a faded message, but painted over it in bold strokes was a striking image of a winged woman hovering over a man. That's you and my daddy, he said, and the sincerity in his brown eyes was like a knife to Katrin's soul. Climbing down from her horse, she gave Jessup a hug and a kiss on the forehead. You're a good boy, Jessup. Grandma said you saved my daddy and Uncle Artis. I wish you could have saved Uncle Fenny, too, he said. I'm sorry. You did the best you could, he said with a firm nod. Goodbye, Alma. Goodbye, Canergy. You did the best you could, Benjen echoed as they rode away. Katrin tried to hide her tears. Wendell watched in amazement as Martik orchestrated a monumental operation. Six horses, ropes, and a dozen men hauled on the massive section of Great Oak. At first it had seemed like sacrilege, but the trunks would only lie and rot. Why not make use of them? Using the trees that were down to make a trail between the valley and the grove, Martik assembled a rolling monster. Logs were placed in the path before the great oak, and they were soaked with water to make them slick. With three horses on each side, they pulled, and amazingly, the leviathan moved. Now, at a place where they had to make a sharp, uphill turn, things were getting tense. Keep them ropes taut, Mardik shouted, despite the fact that he knew the men were trying to do just that. But the horses had reached a place where the incline was too steep. Boil me! What made me think I could do this? You're doing just fine, Wendell said. Breathe deeply for a moment and relax yourself. Martik stood for a moment, 
trembling with anxiety, but then he relaxed noticeably. Now you're ready to conquer this thing, Wendell said. Come at it with a clear mind. Martik nodded and looked thoughtful. Thank you, he said. If it were me, Wendell said, scratching his chin, I would unwind the rope around the trunk one time, and that would be enough extra rope to get the horses past the incline. Martik made an annoyed sound in his throat. Why didn't I think of that? Sometimes you just have to look at things from a different viewpoint. As Katrin, Benjen, and Chase skirted the farmlands, they came to the stone bridge. It now stood well above the swift running water, which was no longer clogged with debris. Beyond, though, the flood damage was still evident, even if the grass was already beginning to cover it. As they crossed over a series of hills, Katrin was surprised to recognize parts of the landscape even as nightmarish as it had been during the flood. If she remembered correctly, they were nearing the area where she and Benjen climbed the tree, the place where they had lost Barabbas. Thinking of him was painful, and she pushed him from her thoughts. Around a bend, flashes of red and orange were visible. As they crested a rise, a field of flowers awaited. Two hills formed a small valley, and it was covered with vibrant life, the flowers making it look as if it were still a fire. Pyre orchids, Benjin said in a whisper. They're extremely rare and grow only after forest fires, and then only under certain conditions. We must harvest them. We don't have time, Katrin said. Difficult times are ahead, little miss. In those kinds of times, disease can wipe out entire cities. Pyre orchids can be used to treat almost every known plague. We cannot afford to miss this opportunity. Then let's do what needs doing and move on. Harvesting the orchids proved as easy as removing the flowers from the stem, and they soon had the flowers bundled together and divided up between them. Beyond the burned-out forests of Astor were lands that Katrin dreaded. She doubted she could find the place they had exited the ancient mines, and even if she could, they would have to wait for the full moon to get past the daggerfish, which left them little choice but to travel through populated lands. At the first town they reached, Benjen spotted signs of the Vestrana at a local inn. I'm going to go in and talk to the innkeeper, he said. I'd like to get rooms for the night, but only if we can remain discreet. Stay here and try not to draw attention to yourselves. He slipped into the inn. Waiting for him to return, Katrin held her breath. Despite signs of the Vistrana, she feared a trap. When Benjen appeared at the back corner of the inn, she drew a deep breath. With a wave, he told them to join him and they led the horses to the back of the inn, where two stable boys waited. Benjen gave each stable boy a copper, and asked that they stack the bales of orchids somewhere dry. They looked at him strangely, but he tossed them each another copper, and they were eager to help. The innkeeper was an older, bearded man with a broad, vein-streaked nose. 
His name was Orman, and his smile was infectious. Welcome to the Brenton Inn, friends. The food's hot and the bed's clean. If you'll follow me, there's a private room this way. I'll bring your dinner there. Does he know who we are? Katrin asked when Orman left. I think he suspects, but he gave all the right signs. We should be safe in his care, Benjen said. But Katrin still had doubts. Too many things were no longer certain or safe. When Orman returned with food, she wondered if it might be poisoned, but decided she could not live the rest of her life in fear. With trembling hands, she grabbed a stuffed pepper. It was delicious. Orman returned to clear the plates and brought a tray of mugs and a jug of dandelion wine. Secret family recipe, he said. He poured wine for each of them and handed out the mugs. When he handed Katrin her mug, their eyes locked. His brief stare commanded her attention without being overt. Wrapping her hand around the mug, she realized there was a piece of parchment cleverly wrapped around half of the mug, so it was concealed in her grip. Toward the top, she felt a wax seal. Uncertainty festered in Katrin's belly, but she just thanked Orman for the wine. He left as if nothing had occurred, closing the door behind himself. The secrecy employed in delivering the message demanded she read it in private but her curiosity would not be quelled. With a quick glance, she saw the image of a hummingbird impressed into the wax. Excitement charged through her. I need to collect my thoughts, she said. I'm going to meditate for a while. The others spoke softly as Katrin settled herself into a corner with her back to them. The seal broke away easily, and she opened the parchment with a mixture of hope and dread. Birds roost where dandelions hide. Frustrated, Katrin tried to understand what the message meant. The hummingbird seal would almost certainly belong to Brother Vaughn, and the mention of birds solidified that deduction. The taste of dandelion wine was still on her tongue, and Orman had said it was a secret recipe, but she struggled to find meaning in birds roost. The message was a warning. Of that she was certain, and she guessed it wasn't safe to go to Omahold. Birds. Messages. The realization slammed into her consciousness. Orman would send a message by bird. Could it really be so simple? I think Brother Vaughn wants us to wait here for him, she said when she returned to the table. Did you just get that from your meditation? Or did you just decide you like this place? Chase asked. A cryptic message was delivered to me, and I'm not certain, but I think it's a warning, she said, still feeling compelled to keep the message secret. Sharing it would reveal Orman as the messenger, and she sensed that would be against his wishes. Perhaps he feared Samda. I think Brother Vaughn wants to meet us here. Would you care to share the message? Chase asked. Maybe we can help interpret it. No. The message was intended for me alone, and I cannot share it. I'm sorry. Chase raised an eyebrow but did not press her further. 
Benjen looked her in the eye and seemed satisfied by what he saw. I don't think it's safe to stay here long, Samda said. There are more people looking for you than just Brother Vaughn. There may be other messages being exchanged this very moment. I agree, Chase added, and when he met her eyes, Katrin saw his determination and knew he was going to fight her. Come with me, she said, and he walked to the corner with her. She could feel the stairs on her back, but she could think of no other way to convince her companions without offending Samda and still respect Orman's privacy. When she showed Chase the message, he looked uncertain at first, but then he seemed to see the hidden meanings. I think Kat's right. I say we wait here, at least for a few days, he said when they returned to the table. We need to get a better understanding of the layout of the inn and its surroundings, Benjen said. I don't want to be trapped here. We'll pair up and keep watch on the streets. If someone is trying to trap us, we'll need as much warning as possible. Despite what were mostly pleasant days in a comfortable setting, Katrin paced the floor, unable to stem her anxiety. Every horse or wagon that passed was suspect, and even when in her room, she could not stifle her worry. Having stayed abed longer than the others, she tried to calm her mind. When the door to her room suddenly flew open, she nearly leaped from her skin. No one entered, but two grinning faces peeked in. Only her happiness to see them could overcome the overwhelming desire to wring their necks. Strom! Osborne! How did you get here? We came with Brother Vaughn. At the mention of his name, he came to the door, grinning as wide as the rest. Greetings, Katrin. I was confident you would understand my message, but I must admit it's a relief to find you here. There are many things we need to discuss. Chase charged up the stairs from the common room, having heard the commotion. Who goes there? he challenged. By the gods! How'd you get in here? Forget it. I don't care. He ran to embrace Strom, Osborne, and Brother Vaughn. I'll go get Benjen and Samda. Who? Brother Vaughn asked, his visage going stony. Samda was a Jean master, but his beliefs have changed. He's been helping us, Katrin said. I know who he is. A detestable man if I ever met one. We can get out of here without him ever knowing. Chase, try to get Benjen to come alone. Wait, Katrin said. I don't want to leave Samda. He saved my life, just as you did. I could no more leave him behind in such a way than I could you. Brother Vaughn seemed torn, but then he tightened his jaw and nodded. Let us talk where we can be comfortable and drink a bit of Orman's dandelion wine, then. In his excitement, Chase darted ahead to apprise Benjen, taking the stairs two at a time. Katrin walked beside Brother Vaughn. I respect your opinion, and I'm sorry for disagreeing with you. People can change, but they rarely do. I will trust your judgment but it will take some time before I trust his. I can ask no more than that, 
she said as they entered the private dining hall. Food and wine were waiting when they arrived, which made Katrin slightly uncomfortable, not liking when others anticipated her moves. Benjen still wore a shocked expression when he arrived. Chase followed, then Samda, who wore a mixture of guilt and pride like a cloak. Katrin watched the looks exchanged between Brother Vaughn and Samda. There was no kindness between them, but they both managed to remain civil. How did you get in here? Benjen asked. We've been watching every entrance. Orman's a crafty fellow, Brother Vaughn said. Full of surprises he is. I'll not spoil his fun by revealing his methods. Strom and Osborne nodded in agreement. I suppose the important question is, what do you plan to do next? Brother Vaughn asked. I'm going after Belegra, Katrin said. I believe he goes in search of the Firstland. I've gotten reports that give your suspicion credence, but I must ask how you plan to find the Firstland. I don't know, but I must find a way. Brother Vaughn paced the floor in deep thought, but stopped suddenly in front of Samda. Their noses almost touching, he growled. You know why I loathe you. You know what you did. Katrin has accepted you, and I have chosen to honor her decision. But if you reveal any of what I say to anyone, or if you betray her, I'll find you and you will die slowly. Katrin held her breath, shocked by the venom that poured from Brother Vaughn. What the Jean did was wrong. I know. But I cannot bring those shepherds back, no matter how much I will it to be so. I'll not betray you or Katrin. Be true to your word, and you have nothing else to fear, Brother Vaughn said, and he turned back to the group, his visage once again peaceful. There has been great change in the Cathoran order since the Jean killed Mother Gwendolyn. He paused to glare at Samda, who seemed truly surprised and confused. Long-standing beliefs are being challenged, and the order is divided. I could not remain while they squabble amongst themselves. I made my choice, and I started searching for you. When the bird came, Strom, Osborne, and I made good our escape before the balance of power shifted. You left the order? Katrin asked, shocked. In a sense, yes. There have been times in the past when the Order dispersed to find truth, and I am on such a quest. The library you found contains thousands of volumes, and it'll take generations to glean all that we can from them. But I did make some discoveries before I departed Omahold. You were correct when you translated Om Sa to mean men leave. The book you found chronicles the departures of the first men from the Firstland. They fled the Golgi, who we now know were large, reptilian creatures that somehow betrayed the first men. The picture is still very cloudy, as I have only tapped the smallest part of the language that was hidden. If only we had more time, he said with a sigh. 
I found no maps to indicate where the first land is, but I did find something rather intriguing. A reference to a powerful staff known as the Staff of Life. And your staff matches the description, except yours has no stones in the eyes of the serpent, if I recall correctly. Your memory is correct, Katrin said. But Benjen had the noonstones mounted in the eyes. The serpent, I believe, is a dragon. If I draw heavily on the staff, the eyes shine and the wings become visible. After retrieving the staff from her room, Katrin showed him. Amazing! The wings were not described, but perhaps they were unknown at the time. Otherwise, thanks to Benjen's uncanny intuition, the staff looks exactly as it was described. He drew a sharp intake of breath when he saw the handprints embedded in the staff's flesh. By the gods! How did that happen? Katrin told the tale, and those who hadn't heard it stood in shock. Samda seemed confused. Those are not noonstones, he said, pointing at the eyes of the serpent. What? Katrin asked. I've seen Noonstone. It's as black as night. Those, I believe, are something even more rare. Dragon ore. I thought you knew. Where did you see this black stone? Brother Vaughn asked. It was one of Belegra's treasures. He showed it to me once as a way to convince me he was right. To show me he had the favor of the gods. Samda replied, looking haunted. He said that once he uncovered its secrets, he would be able to save the world. I believed him then. No one spoke for a moment, and even Brother Vaughn seemed to recognize Samda's pain. An idea began to form in Katrin's mind, but she kept it to herself. For the moment, it really didn't matter. She understood how to use the stones she had whatever they were called. Samda suddenly cocked his head to one side. Do you hear that? Chase hurried to the window and pulled the shutter slowly open. We have to go, now! Jean Riders, coming, fast! A moment later, Orman charged through the door, his face bright red. Get your things and get upstairs! That concludes this episode of Dragon Ore. Thank you for listening. For news and the latest releases, visit patioracket.com.